Hi, my name is Jason Adriani, and welcome to the Blade in Chats, your skating chat based. In this podcast, we are talking with bladers and bladies from all over the world, united by a single passion, blading. Episode 50, Angie Walton. Already 10 here in Italy. It's 1 p.m. in the U.S., in California, I believe. And so I think... Blading chat with Angie. I'm quite uh, excited about this. To be honest with you guys, Angie! Hey, what's up? Good, good to see you. You too, man. How's it going? Fine, fine. Are you able to, to, to flip the screen like in vertical? Oh. Perfect, man. Yeah, I think I'd rather stay like this. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. I, I can do like that as well. Dude, I have no way to hold my phone. Okay, that's it. I'm going in here. So, how's life? Everything's fine? Hi, everything's just groovy, man. Global pandemic and all. Yeah, crazy, right? Now, like I had my phone all set up to hang up here. Now I have no idea where I'm going to put myself. I can just but, stand here. Oh, oh, there we go. Yeah, perfect. Look at that. Can you hear me still? Yeah, I can hear you. I can see you clearly. So thank you oh, so you much for... Oh, the threads back there. Oh, oh my goodness. Right there on the spot, on like on those like white things, man. <laughs> I wish I was able like to, to, to watch them. Oh, oh my goodness! No way. There they go. Wow, that th- that's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> so Angie, thank you so much for being here. It's like a, it's a, it's an honor. I mean, like I don't know where to start, but like thank you so much, really. Ah, dude. Nothing. Nada. How do, how do you like um, handling so far with these like all of those uh, uh, COVID-19 thing? Are you in California right now? Yeah, San Diego. Ah. You know, it's weird because uh, <laughs> I'm actually watching the uh, Waco Netflix thing on TV. And uh, I was thinking about it last night. I was like, you know. For me, like nothing much has changed because all I'm doing is working around the house. I've been like building this house for like, I'm not sure whether to look at me or look at you. I've been building this house <laughs> for like 11 years from the oh, ground wow. up. Just ah, going a little bit nuts with it. But uh, I'm watching this Waco thing and I'm like, man, you know, like that really was like, I don't know if you remember when that happened. It was in 93. 93, right? And um I think it was like one of the first things that we realized just how much control the government has over these kind of situations. And I thought about it last night and I was like, man, you know, never in my life have I ever imagined just how quickly the entire country, the world can just shut down, you know, true. it's like a machine that you couldn't imagine ever being turned off. And yet, boom, turned off everywhere. And I was like, That kind of, it's kind of like, on one hand, it's kind of a relief that they have that much control. And on the other hand, it's kind of terrifying that like, you know, everything can just be shut off like that. You know, we always- Like in a week, right? 
getting messages up here. Yeah, that it can just go from on to off like that. And the True. amount of like control, everything seems like it's like red tape and, and you know, all out of whack and it is, but at the same time, it's like they've just managed to just, just turn off a switch like that, you know? And now we have all these people like arguing about turning the government on and turning this state on and turning that county off. And it's kind of nuts, you know? Definitely. We, we always about, I don't know, like uh, in Venezuela and places, you know, where there's always been this civil unrest or even in the Middle East where there's been this civil unrest and you have to, you, you always wonder in the back of your mind, like, why is it so hard, you know, not to have uh, corruption? Why is it so hard not to like, uh, be able to have your government be in control and not be like third world. And then you look at what's going on here and you go, oh, I get it. Okay. So there's just like a huge group of people that feel this way and a huge group of people and they're not going to meet in the middle. They're just not, you know? Yeah. The way that a lot of us feel about the whole be responsible, put your mask on, don't put an orangutan in office, you know, stuff like that. But then there's other people that even people that I've known in my life that are oh, this is why Trump's so good, and, and uh, pfft, it's like a flu, and, you know, the man, and I'm like, man, that's crazy. The, the viewpoints are so opposing that you just can't see where there's any middle ground on it, you know, so. Yeah, true. Where do, where do we go with something like that, you know, like, are we going to open, open, <laughs> turn the switch back on? And, <laughs> and how it's going to be? The, the normality right after that. Like yesterday I was talking with John Lee, a videographer from London, and like we were discussing about like what's, how it's going to be like the, the perspective of the normality, things of life, how they're going to be changed after all that, because like how are we going to, to be able to uh, fly over if like the, the doctors are not going to find any cure and we have to coexist with the virus? I mean, it's something yeah. that really, Nothing's I don't know. It's never exactly. going to go back to We're changed, you know, like uh, for the Blading Cup this year, I, I really wanted to like get together a motorhome here in San Diego and just gather up all the SD crew and, you know, Damn. do like a really big deal and, and head down and, and uh, just kind of be more part of the community again because I'm so out of touch. And, uh, and I don't know now. Now I'm looking at it. You know, I was actually going to fly up to San Francisco and uh, meet up with BJ and he, he's doing a comp up there. And everything just got, you know, it's just like everything just, you know, I don't in know. A, a in a week, it's crazy. It's crazy. It's really. I don't know if a lot of the people on here know that, uh, you know, we lost Johnny. And uh, I heard about it. And it's pretty sad. Fucking tragic as hell and uh, really put me sideways. So I was like at the hospital, you know, spending nights with him and, and, and then he was gone. And the next day it was like lockdown. And I thought, you know, had, had 48 hours more passed before this happened, I wouldn't have even been able to be there, you know? And uh, I, I don't know. It's, it's like just everything literally like a light switch. It was just like one day everything was normal and then boom, you the know, next like, day. Uh, how do, how do we, how do I get a group of people together in November when we still don't have a vaccine? And even when there is a vaccine, I don't know about you, but I've never taken the flu vaccine. I always, I so always, am I. Yeah. I always felt like, Oh, every time I take a, a flu vaccine, you know, which I haven't, but I guess that's kind of hypocritical, but uh, I feel like it, I get sick, you know, 
So how, <laughs> I was, how am I going to feel about this vaccine? Am I going to be racing right out like, oh, here, you know, give me, give me this? I don't think so. So I don't know. It's a little sketchy. So I don't know. It how, is. Do we just live in terror and fear of like a potential? You know, for someone like me, it's really scary because I have, uh, I have breathing issues. Always have. Oh, and, uh, oh wow. I'm I'm terrified of it. I'm like, okay, I'm I'm not. I'll jump out of a plane. I'll do whatever, but don't get me near this virus. <laughs> oh my goodness! <laughs> no, my that's... neighbors like you're too close. Get back. <laughs> <laughs> Ten meters away, not one. <laughs> How's it been there in Milan? I mean, like, uh, I know that's gotta so, have been. You guys were the first to like really start having the. After after so, China, we. Ex- Exactly. After China, we were like the very first one who had been like uh, hitting heavily by that and like of like governments and the doctors, they, I wouldn't say they underestimated because they didn't underestimate it. But like, uh, there was like a lot of uh, misunderstanding, uh, lack of communication between departments and all that. And like, especially Lombardy, which is like the region where I'm living. It gets like in that like in super trouble. Milan, Bergamo, and Brescia, which like are three cities pretty close one to another, they have been like heavily hit by that and like the numbers of that, especially in the very uh, like in the whole month of March and early like days of April, like the numbers were like growing day after days and like uh, we were like kind of scared. Right now, like luckily, uh, the government like says that like we are in this thing called phase two, which like we are allowed uh, to go outside a little bit to make like sports outside and everything. Because before that, before like the the 4th of May, which was like two days ago, uh, we weren't able even to go out for a walk. The only thing that we were able to just like go to the supermarket, the grocery, go to the pharmacy, and it's pretty much it. But like stay outside. Sorry? Do you, tr- do you trust that they're basing all of their decisions on your health or on the economy. Like, that's the thing that I'm like. Mm. So, so like, to, to be honest with you, like, um, we were, we, like, the feeling that I have from world, like the whole country was like, very first feeling, yeah, it's, it's a flu, whatever. It will never touch, touch us. Like, it, that was like early January, like, or mid-January. And then like, uh, after like the very first cases and like the number increasing, like in season, stuff like that, it grows like in, in the people's mind, this little kind of kind of a fear thing, you know? And we were like, oh, okay, it might be something hard. But then like, man, when, when it came out here in Milan and especially in the, in, the, in the other two cities that I was mentioned earlier, we were like, all right, that's something dangerous and that's something like scary. And because like you were like at the, at the telly, of course, like news, maybe sometimes they are like faking the data and all that, but like, you were watching like from one day to another from like 20 deaths, like you have like 500 deaths, 600 deaths, 800 deaths, like that day after day after day. And so like, we were like, okay, we must, you know, do and follow the lead of the government because, and, and the doctors, of course, because they are the one who know how to react and all that. But then like, with that being said, it came out the economy part of it, which was like, you know, all right, uh, I am a videographer, freelance videographer, and having like I did like only one job in these two months, and luckily I have like uh, I don't have like 
a lot of expensive like to, to taking care of but like i have friends of of mine who like they're running a company they have like employer they work for them and all that and they are like in a kind of kind of a, a bad situation right now because they have lost like two months of like income uh, and they have like the outcome to pay rents uh, salaries and all that so economically wise never real until it's real and it's like when True. when you start to read stories about people you relate to and stuff then you start to kind of see the impact of it and like oh shit you know and i think we're so entitled in this era you know like from the 60s and on you know the gulf war happened and other things have happened but they always seemed uh, i don't know they, they it wasn't like world war ii where you got the shores of no you you, you ugh. Or Vietnam, where you had all this stuff going on, it's like you just were kind of a little bit out of touch with it, more like a video game kind of thing. And I think we've just all been so entitled that we don't, we have that mentality of like, oh, it never happened to us, you know? True. But True. It never happens until it happens. And and you know, it's funny on a note like that. I think with something like this happening. Um, it's kind of made people a lot more aware economically, even if they don't have jobs that are like that, they, they can suddenly relate to the fact that, okay, so these businesses have all of the, these expenses that just continue to go, whether there's income coming in or not. And what do you do? You know, your expenses are piling up. It's not like somebody, you would think like the mortgage companies or the rent or <clears throat> anything like that. You always think, well, there's a solution. You know, it can be fixed, but there's people getting kicked out, even though they say, oh, rent abatement and nobody's allowed to do this. They'll do it and they're doing it. And the only way you can ever fight something like that is legally. And lawyers are super expensive. So it's yeah. like you think it's not happening to people. It is, you know, uh, I know that better than anyone. If you don't have the money to fight. <laughs> <laughs> you got to just walk away, you know, like there's just no way to do it. And when you've got, I've, I particularly, I feel for a lot of these businesses because their expenses are going to keep going, you know, the things that they're on the line for, you know, like, uh, I kind of liken it to, you know, I don't want to bring up stuff from daily bread, but, uh, the way that that went down, you know, I know a lot of people didn't understand it and they thought, Oh, well, it was a disagreement between partnerships, you know, I'm not going to choose sides or whatever. It's like, no, imagine you were like a car dealership and you had a couple of car salesmen working for you and a global pandemic hit and suddenly you can't sell cars and you, your, your, your income is just gone and you've got these car salesmen and they're like, pay us, pay us. And you're like, I can't sell cars. And, um, uh, and then they just come in one night and they take your entire inventory. Uh, you know, what, what are you, well, of course now you definitely can't do anything to help them. And not only that, you've got to still pay for those cars. You've got to pay all the manufacturers that sold you the cars to be sold to the public. You've still got your rent. You've still got your credit card bills. You've still got all of that overhead. And yet, these two car salesmen have just walked off with your entire thing, you know? So it's like, this is a global pandemic. What was happening back then was the death of print. You know, I don't think a lot of people really understood on the bigger picture, what was happening back then in terms of the uh, internet versus print. Yeah. You know, it was a 
it was a, a change of a, a worldwide global time change of something historic where we went from print media to digital media and uh, there, there was really it required a big transition which by the way is why that that the very next thing I did was teach myself programming because <laughs> I was like <laughs> you know, I was constantly trying to hire somebody to like help us through that transition and every time I would hire someone they just wouldn't get it you know I'd, I'd be paying them to like sit there and they'd be in the chat rooms and doing them. I'm like, you don't understand. Like there's a change coming and we need to be prepared for it. And I couldn't do it on my own. So that was the very next thing that I took up. So that's, I just turned into like an even bigger geek than I was already. And uh, yeah, started focusing on my music finally. <laughs> <laughs> great. Great to hear. Yeah. So like, Hey, thank, thank you so much for, um, you know, telling us like the, this example, which is like a, in my opinion, really clears clarified what what happened back then, and and I do my, that's my personal point of view. Really sorry, like um, from what yeah. happened, and uh, it doesn't really. I mean, it's it's it's, it's a shame. It's the, price for it. the, the thing that the thing that broke my heart was that like you know just like the car dealership, what if you had already put in an order for a car and you were waiting for it to be delivered, and then these car salesmen came in and took your whole inventory and you couldn't deliver that car. That's what it was. The, the thing that broke my heart was my subscribers because I never gave a damn. I mean, I was just a skater trying to build an industry. So to me, all that mattered was my homies, you know, all of you guys. So everything else, like, fuck it, you know, okay, I owe this bill and this is going to come after all of that. I don't, I don't give a shit about. It was just the fact that I, my hand is like I was, my hands were tied and I couldn't deliver on my promise, you know, to my subscribers. And of course, a lot of them didn't understand and thought that I just fucked them over. And that's the part that broke my heart because it was like, no, man, I'd never do that. You know, I would, <laughs> I would never do that. So that was the, that was the thing. And it's funny because I tried really hard to go through all my lists and stuff and keep, tried to keep names, you know, of people who had subscribed at that time. It wasn't all that successful because it was really difficult to go through the data. Yeah, exactly. I'm <laughs> back. Yeah. And back then, like, internet wasn't as it is right now. So I believe that, like, uh, it has been, like, a, like a trouble period, like, a difficult times. And, and uh, I, I, I do feel like... Like, can you even remember when we didn't have internet? Like, ask Arlo about that tomorrow. I remember when uh, it was... Uh, I think it was issue four, Purple Haze, when I went over to the the hyper whatever we're sitting it and all those guys were in the building and I set up all their internet and it was like, you know, it's just like the modems and making, yeah. and like literally went over and set our industry up to be online for the first time. It, you know, it's like, it feels like a world away, but the idea, and we would go on those tours to Europe. And I remember just trying to find a landline and a lot of times in Europe, they had cell phones, you know, you guys had cell phones way before we did in terms of like a lot of people. Oh, really? Oh, my God. Yeah. And so I remember I would go and try to find a landline. I was staying with, um, it was a friend of Frank Rodolfo's in Lyon. <coughs> Excuse me. And I just remember trying to search through the house for like an old box where a landline may have been connected. Yeah. Digging in the wall. And just trying to find some wires, and then I would have to get up <laughs> a little kit and like attach wires together and try to get that modem signal so I could like get online. 
it's just nuts. And some of our first photo shoots and stuff, I remember being like, you know, the way that we would have to organize skate shoots and stuff back then, you just take it for granted now that like, oh, you just pick up your cell phone. Hey, where are you? You know? Let's take a picture. You know, somebody goes off to skate a block away. You don't know where the fuck they are. (laughs) Man. (laughs) You're like, I don't know where those dudes went, man. They're just gone. And now, I mean, it's just bizarre. Like the change of that was kind of like the change now of things just clicking on and clicking off and you forget how much pre-planning had to go into just a skate shoot or a skate session, you know, like you get excited, you see something you want to skate and you're like, oh, oh man, I'm, I'm going to head over to that. And the next thing you know, you're two groups of people completely split up and nobody knows where anybody is. And you're skating around for blocks trying to figure out where the fuck somebody else is. <laughs> like that's, that's a thing of the past. Like that just doesn't happen anymore. I mean, you can have like GPS on them now. Okay, we're Exactly. Here. They're right there. I'll send you the position. I'm there, yeah. right there. It's just right there. But wasn't it exactly? But isn't it like uh, um, the the best part of it in a way? Like the struggling to get to the spot or to meet with the people. And then back then, I, I'm like, I, I started skating in 2000, so I'm a kind of a, a new in that kind of. But I remember back then when we had, of course, we had cell phone, but that no internet or whatever, but like when we were settling down like an appointment, it was okay, at three at the main train station, all right guys? At three, everybody were in there. Right now, like nobody's in there like at the time, at, at, the, at, the, at the appointment where we are saying like, yes, see us at five at that spot. Nobody will be, will be there at five. We're always gonna create new challenges for ourselves. We'll make it difficult. <laughs> exactly. It's so exactly. easy for us now. We need to do something to make it a little bit harder. Now it's like, I'm trying to live stream somebody from across the country. And that idiot doesn't know which way to turn their phone. No, no, no. Come on. Um, But but, but yeah, so um, just because you you mentioned it, so. Sorry, I just had to do that. No, no, no problem, no problem. But but you just. I saw Abby on here. Sorry. I saw Abby on here. I think his name came up. Abby! No, he's not here anymore. Maybe later on he's gonna be he's gonna connect no, you. Tomorrow, tomorrow will be here. Uh, tomorrow I do have like a deal, and on, on Sunday Arlo. I know. And then, Ordo. then next week Josh Patty. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so, so yeah, going back to the to the to the thing that I was, that I wanted to ask you. So you have founded Daily Bread, is that correct? I what? Did you found it, Daily Bread? Did you like create it, Daily Bread? Yeah. Wow. And how did you uh, came up with the idea of making like a, a skate magazine that became what it became? It's so funny, man, because you always see the world through your own perspective, you know? So like, it's like your world is three-dimensional, but everything that came before you is two-dimensional. It always existed. It was just like it is. And you don't know about the layers of it, you know? Like, you know about the layers of when you came in. I bet you know who started skating before you, who started skating after, what was going on, and how things developed. Everything's just normal. Um, but you see everything behind you as if it happened all at the same time. Not even, not even remotely close. So to try to, like, put it into a chunk, you know, it's like rollerblading had founded this uh, team rollerblade, you know, and they had kind of pulled people from different segments of 
sports. So they pulled, and, and to me, it's two-dimensional before that too. So like, this is me talking history that I figured out. So the person who got me into it and was to me, my founder, the beginning wall was Doug Boyce, you know, because Rollerblade had found some people to do promotion on the boardwalk in Venice. So they had uh, AJ, you know, Jackson, he was like the whatever. Yeah. And they had, they had Jill Schultz. She was the ice skating, uh, you know, turned rollerblade dancing. So she was kind of the dance element. And, um, and then you, and her partner, of course, was Chris Mitchell. They were like ice skating partners. And I don't know if in competition or just in show, but uh, so they had this whole group and it kind of came from, um, roller skating dance and stuff so there was like this dynamic and then you had they put picked up Doug Boyce he was like a skateboarder and uh on the boardwalk and so you know had you had these this this three pronged tier and even before them there was a uh, um Chris Morris and you know a couple of other people and they were like on the more the skiing side of things that was where they came from extreme skiing and uh from that little pronged thing, you know, the rollerblading started to like really get popular and big and rollerblading being a company out of Minnesota, you know, trying to, they were more of the recreational mindset and the fun, fun in the sun kind of thing. They were going in this direction, really, really hardcore. So they were pushing the dance team and sending the dance team around everywhere to promote skating by doing these flashy shows and so forth and doug of course was taking it down the path that he was on so he he was sort of the i would say the seed that 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 planted in chris edwards so you've got you know you basically have these branches that are all coming out from this one this one little marketing promotion so you have this branch and you have this branch and you have this branch and each branch went off in a different direction and it at a so you've got Doug Boyce, who inspired Chris Edwards, who inspired Jess and me and Pat. Oh, Pat was actually kind of there before with Chris Morris. So it's a little bit, I'm not saying it completely correctly, but if you were to look at like hierarchical tiers, you'd have this tier, which was the beginning. And then you'd have the next tier. And that would be me, Jess, uh, Pat, Jimmy Tremble, John Tyson, Tim Gantz, Chris Edwards. Um, and so we kind of like started, they initially wanted me on the, the dance team. I was on a BMX bike and I met, uh, I met Jess. I was doing uh, aerial acrobatics at the fair. I'd come out here. Wow. I met Jess and <clears throat> he got me on a BMX bike. And then we went and looked at a, a demo with Chris Edwards and stuff. And, and uh, Jess talked to Doug and said, hey, I met this chick, you know, and I uh, want to get her a pair of skates. So I drove up to Long Beach in a parking lot and met up with Doug Boyce and he gave me my first pair of skates, which I would do anything to have those skates back. I gave them to this little girl at uh, <clears throat> these really famous ramps in the backyard and somewhere in LA. But uh, so he gave me those skates. So they had like a nail in the bottom of them where they had been put together. And that nail would dig into my toe. Every time I would skate, I'd take my skates off. They'd be bleeding, but they were <laughs> hand painted by Doug, you know, and, he had a falling out with rollerblade over design, you know, over things that he felt should be going in that direction. And he walked away, but uh, we picked up the mantle from there, you know, and we called ourselves, Chris was over here in his own planet. I mean, Chris was <laughs> like Chris, you know, from the get go. And uh, 
Jimmy was really young. Oh, and Brian, duh, BK, you know, uh, him and him and Jimmy were really good friends. Uh, I remember teaching Jimmy to drive in the parking lot in Vegas. No way. But uh, yeah, so it's like we kind of picked up the mantle from that. And me, Pat, and Jess, we called ourselves Vert Service. So we were like battling with the whole rollerblade is always trying to like send out the dance team. And, and then sometimes the dance team would like, it started happening basically where, uh, sorry, I got to back up a little bit. When I went to actually like audition for a rollerblade, they wanted a, a female vert skater. They wanted somebody because Jill was kind of getting on the ramps, but she was more dance and uh, so forth. So somebody told me about it. They're like, hey, you know, roll, go out there. Rollerblade is looking to put something together for this trade show. Basically, it was ASR in uh, San what? Diego, which is the action sports retailer. I didn't know shit. You know, I moved out here <laughs> from Florida. I didn't know shit about any of this. So they asked me to come and audition. So I went there and I, I skated the vert ramp and it was like, oh, hell yeah. And then they found out that I had a background in, uh, you know, show, like uh, I was on team, I was a skier in SeaWorld and had done the aerial acrobatics and stuff. And they thought, oh my God, okay, this chick knows how to like move and do lifts and stuff as well. So they tried to like push me in that direction. And, and I was like, no, I, I'm not interested in doing that anymore. I just want to skate, you know? And that was a really big battle. Cause it's like, I'm a girl. So we have me, Jess, Pat, Chris, whatever, and it's like this going on, but they wanted to pluck me out and put me over <laughs> here. And that became a really big battle. Like I got fired three times, but uh, I would go out, you know, like I wanted to make a living. So I would, I would get sent out. I would fuck everything up every time. Because <laughs> I had no interest. I wouldn't practice. I wouldn't do anything. I would just go out there and I'd be like, oh, okay, I'm speaking. <laughs> where's the ramp but it gave me insight that my fellow skaters didn't have because i was going out and i started realizing that all these skate shops were asking for us and they were getting the dance team and so i was connecting with skaters all over the country and being like hey back home my homies and i we go to the ramps every day you know we skate street skating didn't exist yet so it was like hey you know we're skating every day back there just be patient you know we're we're trying to build an industry and uh, so that was happening here, but we were basically being squashed by the fact that it's America, it's capitalism. Rollerblade had this vision in mind and they were almost suppressing what could have naturally erupted into our what we have now, basically. So I saw that and Jess comes from a long line of like, you know, BMX, pro, he's been in the industry forever. And uh, he's, he's an instigator of things, you know? Uh, I mean, he's the one that got me on skates. He's the one that got me on a BMX. So he knows what's down with all of that. And uh, Pat comes from an artistic background. He he really likes to to uh, design and draw and stuff like that. So, you know, we like had our own little vision going on here and we decided to try to market ourselves. And there was a lot of tension between us and Rollerblade because we were like, hey, send us out, send us out. But they were scared to because they thought that we would frighten off the... Uh, the recreational market they thought we would hurt sales because people would think it was too hard to rollerblade and we were like no 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 man you know like no there's there it can be different things you know and we we are passionate about this you know this isn't an after-school hobby and we want to build an industry 
and they were having none of it. But then we made a, I actually, I was older than everybody always. So, and I've always had kind of a business mind back here, sort of, not really, but sort of. And so uh, we got a lawyer. She happened to be the lawyer that um, handled Madonna of all things. What? And we got a lawyer and we had these contract negotiations with World of Labor. It was like, okay, we're allowed to do our own thing and get our own sponsors and where if we ask for approval on something and you don't give it within a certain time, it's going to be a presumed yes. Cause they would just put us off and, you know, like, Oh no, no, no. You know, and then they would sneak in and send the dance team. So <clears throat> there was a big battle back then between us. And wow. Yeah. Team. It looks like him. And, I never uh, thought about it. Yeah. Because the dance team would also go, no offense guys, but like the dance team would go and they would go to the ramps and skate with these people. And then these skaters would think that was, their passion but then they come home and they don't they don't do that they didn't go to the ramps with us they didn't hang out with us you know so it was a really weird time back then and there was a there was some animosity because we were trying desperately to build something and build a community so then it happened that uh i'm trying to think which one of these came first oh the uh the australia one came first so we went to australia was the first one they actually requested the top male and female vert skater so Rollerblade could not deny it because they specifically asked for the Burt team. For you guys, they actually. They knew about it. <laughs> so me and Chris went out there. It was just me and Chris and, and uh, Ida, Chris's wife. It was just us. So we went out there <clears throat> and uh, it was like, wow, here's this country where the marketing and the suppression wasn't happening and it was just able to like develop on its own. And there wasn't a dancer in sight. There was barely, you know, you, you would see rec skaters and stuff, but man, the ramps and the people. And uh, we met a lot of people um, out there. I'm thinking about certain people in my mind and so forth, but like th that just sort of opened a door. And some of the first people to like come over were like Scott Crawford and stuff. And you'll notice there's a really important name missing right now. Uh, the instigator, the Chris Edwards of Australia, Tom Fry. And uh, I love that. I love that guy so much. Like the friendships that we formed back then, you know, they were special. We were like, again, building something that was brand new. Wow. Uh, this tour, there was this tour that got put together and uh, we ended up calling, I don't even remember what it was originally called, but we ended up calling it the Sketchy Bastard Tour because uh, it was me, God, I can't even remember who all was there. By that time, Rollerblade had said, okay, okay, um, we're going to split it out. We've got the dance team, we've got the aggressive team. And it was like, yeah, you know, we'd made some headway. We were acknowledged as our own little unit. And we'd actually gone and done the Olympics by that time, I think. We all went out and like did the Olympics uh, in the Winter Olympics in Europe. It was amazing, actually. If you ever can find any footage of that year, the Winter Olympics, but in Lausanne, it was pretty amazing. Then back up to the, uh, the Sketchy Bastard tour. We're all out there on tour together. And uh, this guy that organized the tour didn't know shit about skating. <laughs> So he put us literally one time we were in a, I don't know if it was a gymnasium or something, but we'd go to do a demo. And if you're standing on the top of the vert ramp, you have to like bend down. I'm five <laughs> two and I had to bend down. 
so much no. air out of a ramp that you can't even stand on. I mean, we were <laughs> laughing our asses off. And he had all these tribal guys that were his workforce. And apparently he wasn't paying them. So they had this like uh, this battle going on and we didn't know anything that was going on. They dumped us in this like condo. <laughs> oh, poor us. They dumped us <laughs> in this condo on the Gold Coast and just disappeared, just vanished. And we no were like, way. I mean, we're not gonna complain. We're in a condo on the beach. So we're just like, whatever. <laughs> and then apparently they got all that stuff sorted. But Jess and I decided to hang back and like stick around for a while after. And, you know, we were hanging out with uh, Tom Fry and, and the whole scene there. And we had already sort of started talking. Uh, I could be getting my dates and times a little bit off, but of course, Jess and myself and Pat had started talking about, hey, you know, and it was actually Jess because he comes from BMX and there was always a BMX magazine and trans world and all of that. So he was like, we need a magazine. And uh, so he was the, he was the spark. You know, Jess, we need a magazine. And uh, so the three of us, you know, bounced the idea around and uh, we already had our little partnership with Vert Service and stuff. So it was going to be our thing, you know, skater, by skaters, for skaters, developing our own little niche and none of this other stuff, just us and all the people we were meeting. And when we went and when, when Jess and I stayed back, and we're hanging out with Tom Fry. He showed us this video uh, of this guy skating Bert. This is just a funny off story. And we would watch that video every day before we went to the ramps. And we didn't yeah. know who it was. We were just like, called him Yellow T-shirt. <laughs> so every day we would watch Yellow T-shirt and get inspired and then go skate the ramps and uh, talk about stuff. And turns out later that was Renee Holgreen. <laughs> no. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah, yeah. We didn't know who Yellow T-shirt was, but he was like, "Oh, Yellow T-shirt! We're gonna watch Yellow T-shirt and go skate." So when I wow, when I, came, I found out that Pat had gotten together with Chris Mitchell, who at that time was Team Dance, and um, oh my God, his name is Neil Neil Feynman, who was like, he was a, a magazine guy who I had done a lot of interviews with. Uh, and basically he was the one that kept getting me hired because every time I would get fired from Rollerblade, he would do a story <laughs> with me and be like, oh shit, she's going to talk a bunch of shit. We better hire her that. <laughs> so am I going on too much? No, no, I, hey, no, it, it's, it's amazing. I, I might be because like Instagram for some reason uh, allows us to make like only one hour of, of streaming. So maybe like when this hour will be over, I will shut down this live stream. And then if you, if you, if, if for you, it's okay. Can we like, um, restart another one right after this one? No, I'm, I'm taking off. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I gotta get on my job. We, no. we, so, yeah, we so, can, we can do it like that. Exactly. I'll walk around here for a second. Yeah. So, uh, anyway, where was I? No, uh, I'm sit down. the guy. Apparently, I can't walk and think at the same time. That's what old age will do to you. Oh, I can't walk. Okay, where the guy Neil. The guy oh, Neil. Okay, so that's I like. I came back home, and Pat has hooked up with Neil Feynman and Chris Mitchell. And being the anarchist that I am and was, I guess I still am, but uh, I really was then. It was like you know I was the one that was doing the battle and getting fired because I refused to dance. So that it was a little stronger in me 
And because I had come from that background and didn't want anything to do with it, you know, I didn't want to perform for an audience. Skating was something that was about me, my own achievements, what I would accomplish. It was sort of a psychological break from, you know, being a monkey and, and performing like, ta-da! Uh, skating for me was like, you know, it was like a personal challenge and you go and you meet it and there's nobody to applaud you and there's nobody to like, give you props. It was just a complete feeling of accomplishment. And I cherished that. I didn't want anything to get anything commercial to get in the way of that. So I was way more anarchist than most anyone else was. I was also older and had been through that a lot. So <clears throat> when I came home and found out that he had put this thing together, and the only reason I found out is because Neil Feynman actually approached me to be a part of the magazine, we were already planning <laughs> with him not knowing that we were already planning. <laughs> so I just kept my mouth shut and I was like, what the fuck? So I, I got in touch with Pat and I was like, Pat, what are you doing? You know, like what happened to our plans, you know, of making this magazine? And he was like, oh, you know, we need help and yada, yada. And I was like, no, but that's not how I feel. Like, I don't, I don't want to be a successful magazine. I don't give a shit about design and art and magazine. I want to build an industry. And so the most important thing is that it is by us and for us. We're not trying to be a successful publication. I'm not looking to, to be, you know, I'm not looking for a career path. I don't give a shit. You know, I, I was always a hippie back then. So it's like money, who needs money? You know, I could <laughs> I'll farm and live off the land. So I just, I never really came from a perspective of looking at anything from a financial standpoint. It was just like, okay, we need a family, we need an industry. So I told him, I was like, okay, well, you go ahead, you do your thing, you know, but I'm gonna go for it, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna put this together. I didn't know shit. I didn't know what I was doing, you know, like how the fuck do you make a magazine? I don't know. <laughs> you know? So that's what I did. I like got a computer. Actually, I got help from Chris Mitchell to get the computer because he was a student at the university. And I was like, hey, dude, can I like, can I get your student discount? And I went and got like the top of the line. I, <laughs> whatever money I had, I went and I got the top of the line computer, which at that time was called a Quadra 800. The 800 meant that that whole computer was 800 megabytes. No way. <laughs> the entire computer held 800 megabytes. So the first, at least four, I don't remember when I got a new computer, but at least the first four or five, six magazines were done on a computer that could only hold 600 megabytes. So no. if you're getting really picky about my design and everything back then, just know I didn't know shit <laughs> about what I was doing. And I only had 800 megabytes to do it in. I mean, it was slow as fuck. So, I mean, <laughs> it was day and night, day and night. And I had like wow. a stack of SideQuest discs that were 100 megabytes each and i would have to split up the magazine between like pages one through four i could work on those and then i had to download them all off my computer so it would have room to work on pages five through eight it was crazy back then and wow un undo command z that's all that existed in photoshop so if you wanted to do something with there was no layers there was nothing if you wanted to do something you had to plan it all the way to the end that's one thing I'm really proud of is the Cosmo ad with the alien and stuff. You would not believe what it <laughs> that ad. But uh, <clears throat> anyway, so, you know, 
right there from the get-go. Jess was in the middle because, you know, it was the three of us always. We were like a, the pack, the rat, rat pack. And here's Jess in the middle, and he's always been a middle, middle guy. And he's got his partner, Angie, who he's actually also dating. And then he's got his best friend, Pat, also, who's, you know, so Pat's gone in this direction. Angie's gone in this direction. And uh, he doesn't know where to go. And so that causes a lot of uh, tension and stuff. But he ends up kind of going in both. You know, I, I needed whatever. But um, I have to back up yet again. That's what I mean about the layers. So we have to get from our layer to the next layer. The next layer, Arlo. Um, that whole group of people which came in because what yeah. happened, Roll of Blade actually gave us the go ahead to form a team and to pull some people in on it, you know? And we had, we, they would send us out to like these races and stuff, you know, like speed skate races to do demos. And of course, you know, somebody, somebody like us would, would inevitably show up. And we were in Texas doing this, uh, sorry, we were in Texas doing this demo. Oh my God, stop. And uh, <laughs> it, I'll never forget it. Cause you know, Arlo has a very specific style, look, everything. I'll never forget it. But like we were doing this demo and afterwards this kid comes like, you know, skating up to us. Hey, you know, like my name's Arlo, you know? And like, uh, we went to the ramps together and watched him skate. And it was just like, fuck man, you know, this guy's, this guy's awesome. And I don't even, I, I think I've told this story before, but I still don't think that he knows this. So you can, <laughs> you can ask him about it. So after that, he apparently moved. He went ahead and moved. We told him all about the scene and everything. He moved, but he moved up to LA. So the first people he like became associated with were Chris Mitchell and like all the guys in LA, which we were all down here in Orange County. We didn't know he'd moved up there. So when Rollerblade gave us the go ahead, the first person I was like, you got to get in touch with this guy. This guy is the guy you got to get in touch with. We, we need him on the team, you know? So they reached out and they were like, we reached out, but he's already here. And I was like, what? He's already here. <laughs> cool. You know, so it was really, really weird because that second wave of skaters that came, they all sort of, you know, because box had started, they all sort of, a lot of them went over there without knowing the prehistory, without knowing the divide and without knowing those different branches, suddenly there was this intermingling and Chris had started doing a lot of street skating by then because street skating had like developed and uh god i'm missing so much here i'm missing dare to air i'm missing all of this stuff but uh you know and then hoax is coming around everything was happening so fast so fast true so fast but um so now the battle has gone from dance team skate team to box daily bread you know pat's magazine my magazine and I didn't find out until years later, but uh, Neil Feynman, he actually contacted me and he wanted to apologize. And I'm like, what for? He's like, we tried to put you out of business. Like we held meetings specifically to put you out of business. right? No. And I was like, didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't that but, successful. Uh, yeah, apparently they have meetings and we're like, how can we? And they were like, oh, she's she by herself. She'll never figure this shit out. You know, we've got a professional publisher. We've got a designer. We've got LA. We've got money. And, uh, you know, 
and apparently Neil said that he was like, don't underestimate her, you know, like, don't underestimate her. Man. And so, you know, they tried really, really hard, apparently, to put us out of business. But, you know, look at it. Eventually, they, they tired of it, and they sold the magazine. So right from the get-go, backing up to the creation of the magazine, that was the whole point. It couldn't have been about being a business. It had to be about being a skater. Because otherwise, <clears throat> you know, you're just going to sell the magazine. You're going to wander off. And you've got an industry in your pocket. You know, you, you're building something that's relying on that magazine. So, you know, it was really fortunate that, that, uh, that I didn't give in and just go to that way because otherwise the, the, the magazine would have been sold back in God knows what to God knows who and <clears throat> Bob's wow. your uncle. Thank you. Um, Th thank you so much for standing for us back oh, then, <laughs> really. Not me alone. So like that's the thing. Oh, of course. Now, Arlo is in LA, right? And so when I bought the computer, sorry, when I bought the computer and I needed to learn how to use a computer, um, I went to a friend's house in Venice and that's where Arlo was living and Brooke was there by that time. And that's that whole second wave, you know, uh, Tom, who in his industry was the Chris Edwards, but in our world, he came in that second tier, actually more the first, but then you got Scotty, you've got, uh, um, Brooke, you've got all these people coming in from all over the world that had their own little pockets and their own little origin stories. So that whole second wave was basically our origin combining with all of their origin stories and forming a much bigger community. Wow. And uh, a lot of it was happening around the basis of these, these magazines, you know, Box and Daily Bread. So Arlo was up there in LA and I was actually on the floor in my friend's living room trying to learn how to use the layout programs and all this stuff. And I needed help. And Jess and I were like, you know, he was kind of helping box. And I was like, fuck, and we got in a big argument. And uh, I turned to Arlo and, and um, Brooke and the, the whole skate crew up there. Because Arlo and I always had like a simpatico, you know, like I fucking love that guy so much. And uh so he took it on himself. Once I actually got out of my friend's living room and was needing to kind of move forward with it, I was, I was always in the house scene, the electronic music scene and so forth. And uh, I had a friend who was making, doing events, big events, actually, uh, probably famous now in the history of electronic events, Narnia and stuff. And uh, they had a print shop. And so... <laughs> his brother owned it and his brother was going away to like South by Southwest kind of thing that was happening. I didn't even know, maybe it was some of the first South by Southwest in 93. I don't know when that started, but uh, he was going away. So they snuck me in and I was working around the clock. I only had like five days to put the whole magazine together. So Damn. I was writing and stuff. And right before I had come there and was in the living room at my friend's house in Venice, they took a bunch of photos and, um, there were some girls that had a house there, girl skaters. Uh, um, why am I brain farting? She's going to kill me. Ah, I want to say, oh my God, she's going to kill me. Okay, I'm going to have to come back to that. But uh, <laughs> they called themselves the, what was, the hen house, I think. The hen house. And I, I think it was their bathroom that we were developing photos in the toilet. We didn't have any wow. way, so a lot of those first pictures were developed in the toilet. And uh, 
and then Arlo started bringing and then Jess came on board more. And so for that first issue, I was there at the print shop and they were like, you know, dropping shit off to me. We were open 24 seven because, you know, these guys are all on E and smoking like fiends and stuff. <laughs> it was a crazy environment, but I only had like four days to get the magazine put together. And it was getting down to the wire where it was like Artie Parent, my friend's brother, who is a he's a giant man, scary and intimidating as hell. He was gonna be coming home and I had to finish that shit. So I was <laughs> I was staying away. I stayed awake for four days and four nights straight. Oh my goodness. And I, I I learned that if you eat just a little bit of sugar, it'll last like a minute and thirty-four seconds of brain power and then it's gone. <laughs> So if you look at the if you look at the first issue of the magazine at the contents, you cannot imagine what I went through to number those content pages. I or no, it was numbering the pages. See, I don't even know what the fuck I'm talking about. I was trying to number the pages. So I was trying to number something in the magazine, and I could not get all the way through because I would just get stupid. I was like, okay, one, two, three, four. Did I just do four? <laughs> Or was I on five? And so the page, oh. they're numbered wrong. They're numbered wrong. I tried like 20 times and I couldn't fucking do it. <laughs> but then we got everything back and uh, his brother came home and he actually came home a little bit early and we got busted. And oh my God, all the film for Daily Bread almost got trashed because uh, he was so pissed off. Get no way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we did it. We got it. We finished it. And uh and got the magazine out there. But so that was that wave, you know, that was, it was really wave three, but really in our industry, there's just Doug Boyce in wave one to me. Doug Boyce is the godfather of, of aggressive skating and then comes us and then comes Arlo and, and the whole crew there. And then comes like the Dustin Latimers and that whole crew and then comes the like Billy O'Neill's and, and I'm probably getting them in the wrong order because I'm so fucking out of touch with everything now. But, uh, wow. you know, there's many different waves that came about to, to where we are now. Man. So I don't even know. I honestly don't even know. Like from 2006 to now, I feel like we just sort of hit pause. I keep kind of poking into the industry and looking and stuff. And I'm like, they're still doing the like top 10 skaters of 2006. Where the fuck are all these new guys? You know, where's the next wave? I can't identify it. And I'm trying really hard to, and maybe it's just because I'm so out of touch, but I, I just don't feel like yet. I feel like it's starting to happen right now. Like I feel like right now is the bridge is the gap is finally being bridged from 2006 to now. All of this has just been like static in the air figuring out this new world, figuring out this digital thing. And then, and then <laughs> now it's finally being bridged and people are people that were really young, like yourself and so forth, who grew up with a certain mindset and, and things are finally figuring it out and going, you know, I can do this. I don't need to look to anything else. I can make this happen. I can make community because literally anyone can make community happen now. And the only purpose that the magazine ever served was to serve a purpose. And if that purpose doesn't exist, then there's no need for it. People are always saying to me like, oh, bring Daily Bread back. No, man, Daily Bread served its purpose. If I tried to bring print back, 
what the fuck? You know, you know about it like 20 days before I ever had it in the magazine. Back then, again, just like with meeting up with your homies, Daily Bread served a purpose. A print magazine in our industry. Oh, are we going? Angie, yeah. one thing, like, we are go, like, it's about to go down in 20 seconds because I do have, like, Instagram came out with this counter. So let me uh, shut down this thing and then, like, we can restart. What do you think? Because I, I, I do, this is like melting gold. I mean, I don't know what to say, man, really. <laughs> let, let, let me just like restart this thing. Okay, thank you so much. In a minute. And we're back here live. Man, blading chats with, with Angie. Yo, what's up, Dean? <laughs> Man, this is this is crazy, huh? Isn't it? I got goosebumps, man. All right, all right, all right. Okay, let's see if Angie, she's here. Oh, John Never's in the house. What's up, John? What's up, Joe? How you doing? Everybody's in here, man. Okay, let's let's go, Jeremy. Oh man! All right. Let's wait for Angie to be connected. And we're back here live. <laughs> Hello. So uh, I, I don't really know what to say. I mean, like I'm so I'm so hyped and then so happy to hear like all of this crazy story. Thank ah. you so much. John Arv John in the house. Wait, what? Yeah, Joe Navran is, is here. He's watching us. Who is? Joe Navran. Oh, no shit, hey, Joe. How do I say hi? Hi, I guess. How do I say hi? Hi. <laughs> exactly. But like, I want to tell you one thing, like, straight from my heart. Like, Daily Bread for me, it was like the Bible. Like, the, the way that I'm speaking, uh, I'm Italian. Like, uh, I'm speaking in English because what you guys have done like writing articles in this thing it made me you know learn to read english understand english and all that so really thank you so much for for, yeah, for all like, that same for me you know i was a skater it was an experience you know i got dubbed the man because i was like you know the one doing it but it was never meant to be anything more than exactly what it was you know there was never any other goal of course, I did not have the goal of it ending the way that it did. No fucking way on earth, you know, like, but, but it was never supposed to be anything more than a tool for the industry. And it did, it served its purpose there. So that happened, you know, and um, that's what I was saying. Like the, the, I feel like the gap is being bridged and people now are, are starting to like realize what they can do. And I, I've seen little trickling things of it you know like uh and i've seen people coming back into it and and i've seen all of this you know even without without being immersed in it or you know like i'm busy doing this shit and my band and everything else like without being immersed in it when you're when you're part of the heartbeat of something in the beginning of it like that 
you just feel it. Like I feel it. I might not be able to go out and skate and do this and I'm not in the industry, but I feel it, you know, like it's always, it's always there, you know, and I, I, and I reach out and I try to like keep connections with certain people that mean a lot to me, you know, all over the world, you know, the Renee's, the Tom's, the Scott's, the the other Tom's, you know, uh, Jesse, Vibo and all that. Um, in 2014, I went on a little tour and visited them all. In wow. I wanted to see everybody that I could. And uh, so, you know, you, I've stayed in touch in certain ways, but you just kind of, you know, you just kind of feel it, you know, like one person that keeps constantly coming back into view is Montre. And I think, dude, like if I start a magazine, that dude would be the dude, you know, like that during this bridge gap, that's, I feel like he was, he's been really instrumental. Like, I don't know much about him. I don't know him, but like, I feel like his skating, uh, personality and everything aside, his skating has been like really consistently innovative and, you know, like he's getting, he feels like over the last couple of years, he's getting eclipsed by new new blood that, that I've seen that's probably been there all along and again I probably sound retarded because I'm out of touch with everything but uh there's another name I keep hearing now too but uh anyway the, the bottom line is I think a lot of you guys have like finally figured out and come to an age where you're you're developed more like whether it be graphics or video communications or videography or writing if I had the talent pool that exists out there right now, back in the day, holy shit, you know, like, holy shit. Uh, we had very slim pickings, you know, because people were skating. There weren't, there weren't people that were skaters and more on the edge and talented. There was just no pool to choose from in terms of uh, uh, stuff like that. But, um, you know, I got a little off track, but what I was trying to get to before we got disconnected was that the magazine was that feeling for me too you know the the, the life but the creating of the community I had to sacrifice my own skating which is one of the reasons I never really branched in more into street skating and the first time I did a rail was dare to air and I had issue one with me so <laughs> from that point on you know like I sat down on my back porch and I had a little talk with myself and I was like okay Angie you're gonna have to like give up your skating you're gonna have to give up this, you know, whatever, you know, are you really ready to go into this full force? And, and I, I made peace with myself. I was like, at that time in 1993, I said, okay, you'll walk away with nothing. Um, you know, the sacrifices, you know, like I, I'm a female, so, you know, no kids, no relationships, really. I mean, my relationships were primarily the, the magazine and then whoever, maybe if I was dating somebody, they kind of came second. And, uh, I made peace with that and daily bread was mine. My, you know, the whole community was family to me. And I think a lot of skaters feel that way. We get involved in the community because it's family. Maybe True. we have a difficult childhood. Maybe we have difficult circumstances. Maybe we're the black sheep. Maybe we have great circumstances, but we don't feel like we fit in or whatever. And, and we're driven toward this sort of edge thing. And so we all congregate together and we make a family, but the magazine, Oh my God, you know what? Do you hear all that static? No, kind of, but like it doesn't. It doesn't really bother me. I don't know if the people here get bothered, but I don't think so because otherwise, we will like they will like writing down the comments here. But like it's well, just kind of okay. I had the. Uh, I had, I've, I've got the phone sitting on my speaker, <laughs> <laughs> which is really not the right place for it to be. But okay, 
kind of have to have. Okay, so if it starts bugging anybody, let me know. I'll move it. So and, uh, anyway, like, the magazine, you know, I get credited with it, but I was just the conductor. You know, I was the conductor. I was the instigator. I was the the one weaving the web. But it's without Arlo's words and a lot of those stories, like Arlo's an amazing writer. Without his help, without Brooks writing, without Brooks help, without Jess, um, without so many people, you know, people in and out of the, without Johnny, for fuck's sake, you know, like, you know, Johnny's a huge part of like Daily Bread from issue, God, what was issue? What issue did he come in on? I wanna say eight or nine maybe, you know, like he was there doing, doing, giving, lending his expertise, taking the weight off me. I may have broken a lot earlier without that support. I'm just going to come out here for a second where I can't even see. So, you know, it's not just me. Like I just wove, I, I wove the web, but, uh, and I managed business stuff, which sucked by the way. Like I had to learn accounting. I had to learn shipping, distributing. Bleh, I had to learn all that shit. You know, I didn't want to do that, but, uh, no, but okay. once again, I could be, be a professional shipper right now. And I could <laughs> definitely be an accountant right now, but, uh, you know, uh, there was a lot, there was a whole industry at play there, you know, from the skaters to the, the older skater generation helping to my motivation was always the, the community. If it weren't for them, I'd have been, fuck this. I don't want to learn accounting. I don't want to do this shit. But I was, I was always inspired by the community itself. So it, it was always full circle. It always went all the way around. You know, wow. it was never, that, that was a very special very special time in our industry and in a lot of our lives, you know, very special. But uh, I'm, I'm desperately trying to keep my word. I sound like a freaking asshole uh, on Facebook because I've said many times now that I'm going to get this stuff up. <laughs> and uh, this house has like kept me from doing it or the band or whatever is going on and haven't been able to do it. But mark my words. <laughs> <laughs> it will happen. I'm going to get the magazine up in terms of uh, uh, an archive, you know. And wow. I've been storing and paying for these back issues for <laughs> 14 years, and I need to get them out of the storage unit. What's left? There's been twice damage from the storage units raining, um, but I'm going to get them out there and make it. I was actually going to take I thought it would be really fun to take them to the blading cup. I haven't but told John about this yet, but like. Do it the same way we sold the first Daily Bread, which wow. was just to show up in the car, you know, with them in the back. I thought I might do that so that I could help support John and like say, hey, if you want, if you want back issues, come to the Blading Cup. You know, we're going to be selling them out of the camper. <laughs> so hopefully, hopefully coronavirus will allow that to happen. I don't know yet. So we'll see. I'm, I'm keeping everything crossed because like I need to be there at the Blading Cup this year. Definitely. I try all my best, everything I can to be there. Damn. Yeah, I'm keeping lists because there's some people, you know, that we've lost along the way that uh, like Johnny Hedges used to work for the magazine and what a special guy, you know, really special guy. And we lost him and, and his wife reached out to me, you know, to get copies for their son. And so, you know, there'll be ones that, they may think I've forgotten, but I haven't forgotten. So those wow, will be the that's amazing. Waving. You know what I don't like about Instagram? I don't know who the fuck anybody is. <laughs> but like, there's a shout out from you from uh, Dave Payne. Dave Payne is watching us. Dap! 
<laughs> and um, but but yeah. So with, with that being said, which is like unbelievable, and uh, as I was saying, melting gold. Uh, I, I I think I'm speaking for everyone right here. Okay. Like, thank thank you so much for everything you guys have done, and it's it's something remarkable. And I do really believe that like in to all of us, like real daily bread left the mark and like really like you know uh, give us a way and inspiration like people became photographers videographer graphic designer in my opinion because of the influence coming from daily bread so thank you guys thank you angie for what you've done because it's something really, really good. no no okay uh go, go, going back to the to the to, to the to the magazine um what was the process of like uh, choosing the picture, like making like those um, interviews or whatever, who was choosing what and like who was choosing the picture and all that? Well, we would have meetings, you know, and uh, <clears throat> we would like make storylines, storyboards. God, I've got to have some of them here. Arlo was the best at doing this. He'd make all the little boxes. He'd actually draw like the cover in there. No, we find it and so he'd draw the cover he'd, he'd like have everything i know i've got to have some shit in there but uh you know the industry would be kind of speaking to us about it so it, it would be like oh what's happening you know ear to the wall this guy's popping off and this is happening over here or we want to support that so it's like you know um johnny would definitely like be a master of organizing photos with the photographers and keith and shooty and because he was the art director right was he what's that uh johnny johnny he was like the art director right our art director uh, photographer and we all had everything we just put labels in the magazine to look professional just, <laughs> you know it's like literally at that time Jap, he used to get so pissed off at me i would re i would have to rewrite everything like the grammar and everything to make us look like a professional magazine and not not saying that this was Dap doing this but i remember he always used to get mad at me he's like you changed that sentence <laughs> Man, being up till like 3, 4 a.m. trying to like rewrite and put grammar and, and make everything succinct and, and everything. Um, you know, everything spoke through me for the most part. Unless it was Arlo writing <laughs> or, or a few other people. It was like, you know, I, I have to edit to a certain extent and so forth. But uh, in terms of making the decisions, man, it was like, uh, I never, ever imposed my viewpoint on, oh, we should do this or we should do that or whatever. It was always a group decision unless I felt really strongly about something I felt we needed to support for the growth of the industry. So it's like I never really like would, would put my foot down on anything and say, no, no, this. Unless it was just something I felt was monumental. Like uh, there was debate on issue four, running that photo uh, without showing the face. You know, like that, that purple haze issue is from the back. Mm -hmm. And we had a lot of debate on that. And it was like, no, man, that's like blurry. It's like, whatever. Yeah. I'm all like, you don't understand. This is where we are in an era. We've gone from knowing every person's face that skates because we know everybody to just the, the random skater on the street. People we don't know where we're surprised to go, oh my God, look, there's a skate scene there. You know, like, who's that guy? Like, we no longer know everyone in the skate scene. So for me, Purple Haze and running that photo, I wonder if Arlo remembers this, if he was part of that conversation, if he was part of that conversation. Um, I know Jess was, and he'll probably remember, but it was like a debate about it because for me, it stood for the anonymous skater, you know? And uh, 
I thought that was important. And then, of course, supporting supporting uh, Julio and anything that he was doing. I felt like he was a kingpin, even though he was like part of that generation, you know, that came just after, literally just after Arlo and so forth. But like, you know, when you when you're there from the beginning, you can see who is going to be somebody that shapes this industry. Wow. It was always clear Julio was going to be that guy, you know, and he has, he's lived up to every expectation or thought I ever thought and way beyond it, you know, like uh, it was clear. So, you know, when, when things were getting corporate, you know, the, the anarchist in me never died ever because anytime it started getting like ASA and, you know, like all of these things that were happening from up in LA and that were happening from my, my mind, and it may sound derogatory and I apologize, but uh, back then there was division and it was necessary because uh, kids that were getting into skating, they needed to identify and they needed to identify with like-minded people. And so it wasn't this like free for all, like, oh, everybody just get along and everybody just do everything. No, we needed to know what our tribal gear was. You know, we needed to know uh, an identity. Before we, before we could be everything, we needed our identity. We needed to have our war paint on. And then we could open it up. Once we knew who we were, then we could open up and, and have a strong core and a strong, solid foundation and a strong, solid sense of who we were. You know, we just couldn't do it right from the beginning. It just, we couldn't. It needed to be there. We can a little bit now. And I see people arguing over that, you know, like, oh, you can do every aspect of sports and you can do this. And yeah, you can. Once you've gone through what we're going through in the industry now, once you actually have that strong foundation and those roots that, that have been provided, then you can open up and be, you know, let in, let in all the colonies because you each have your own identity. You know, you speak Italian, I speak English. And it's not that I don't believe in divisions per se, but unfortunately humans, uh, we, we do it by nature. We separate ourselves by our mentality. We separate ourselves and we need to feel that the tribe that we're in shares our, you know, fuck, perfect example of what's going on in the world right now. You have mm. this mentality and you have this mentality. Yeah, yeah. Uh, if you're standing in the middle, you can't very well say, well, I'm with everybody because you're not with everybody because decisions need to be made. Uh, you know, um, when it's, that's especially the most important part when it comes to making decisions. Uh, in the beginning, you know, uh, when it was just me, Pat and Jess doing our little vert service thing, there would be dissension between like upsetting rollerblade or, or standing up for what we believed in. And I remember there was... <laughs> In Australia, there was this one thing and Rollerblade told us, oh, you're going to be doing this photo shoot. And in the photo shoot, this was a big thing back then. They wanted us to pose like, uh, like we were like, you know, speed skaters. They always wanted us to do that. <laughs> and I was like, the, the photographer showed up and he started going, okay, you know, pose over there, do this. And, and Jess and Pat were getting in their positions and stuff. And I just said, uh, and no, no, don't mean to call you guys out, Jess and Pat, but it happened. Uh, the guy was like demanding that we do this. And I was like, you know, we don't do that. We're not, we're not speed skaters. We don't do that. So wow. what do you want us to do besides that? And the guy got upset. He called, I'm telling you, this is why I got fired like three times. And I was <laughs> like, no, I'm not. It got to a point where it was just like, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to 
uh, bend the integrity of who I am and what I am and what our industry is, you know, uh, I'm gaining ground in terms of us having an identity. I'm not going to just crush it for a dollar bill to make you happy and do my job. And that happened again at a shop when Rollerblade switched to uh, using uh, Chinese manufacturing and the plastic was really weak. I damn near broke my ankle at Bondi Ramp. And uh, I was like, man, this, this plastic is so inferior to what we were doing in Italy. Because at that time, Rosa's was making the rollerblade skates. And uh, so this kid came into the shop where we were. And his mom was like, you know, asking me questions. And I was like, well, if you're going to get a pair of skates, you need to get this. You, know, you need to get a TRS. But look on the bottom here and, and see if it says made in China. Don't do it. Like, make sure it says made in Italy. And so the store lost a sale and they went somewhere else and that store called Rollerblade. <laughs> and when I got home, <laughs> I got a plane ticket out to Minnesota and it was like, and I was like, no, I'm sorry. You don't understand. Fire me. I don't care. What I care about is building this industry and I'm wow. not going to get in a pair of skates that he's going to break his ankle in. No, you know, do what you got to do, but I'm not bending on that. So, you know, that's amazing. Dare, Dare to Air was, uh, you know, Morgan and Sean, those guys like put all the, the footage together, you know, Morgan and Sean and Chris were like in cahoots and, and they were doing, they shared the same purpose. They wanted to build an industry too. And uh, so they, they were putting this video together and they put that tour together in Japan. And we had those contracts in place with Rollerblade that said, you know, if we didn't get a yes or a no, that it was an, assumed yes so when they put that tour together we asked permission and we didn't get any answers so we all committed to it and the dare to air tour was going to happen and then out of the blue we got a uh no you know they got wind of it and they said no we're sending the dance team uh we're not you're not going to do this and that was like the that was the final straw that was like the end so me, Pat, and Jess got flown to uh, the headquarters there. And I remember Pat saying to me, he's like, Angie, he's like, don't make waves, man. Like, don't, you're, you're going to cost us our jobs. You know, we're all going to get fired. And uh, I said, look, dudes, it's in the contract. We said it in the contract. I've got the proof. We did not get a response. And this time we have our rights to be doing this tour. And beyond that, who fucking cares if we get fired because we're building an industry and this is super important. This is like the first global, really aggressive inline skating tour. We have to do this. So we go in there and we're all around the table, you know, and it's very corporate and we've got uh, this woman, I'm not going to mention any names or whatever, but she was kind of in charge of stuff back then. And uh, <laughs> it was really funny because, uh, you know, they started saying, look, you know, it, it basically came down to, if you do this, you're fired. And I said, well, you can't do that. We have a contract with you and it states this. And she was like, go get the contract. So she brings back the contract. And she's <laughs> like, See right here, you have to do this. You have to do that. You have to do this. And I like looked at it and I'm like, blank, you're looking at the old contract. That's not the yeah. one we negotiated. That's the one you presented go get the one we negotiated and signed off on. And she came and got it, it came back and it clearly stated if they didn't, you know, if in this way, and she, I've never seen anyone. She slammed her fists down on the table and she's like, you will not be there. You will not do that. She was. No way. 
So I did. I got everybody fired. <laughs> <laughs> they fired us anyway. And it was like, fine. You know, you fired us. Woohoo, here we go. We're going on tour. So we uh, we did. We went and we did the tour. And, you know, it's a funny backstory that Rollerblade didn't advertise in Daily Bread for a long time because of that. And, uh, of course, that eventually got worked out. And I got kind of, I was a bit nasty about it because they waited so long. They waited till it was safe. They waited till uh, whatever. Because I told them back in the day, I'm like, look, there's going to come a time when recreational skaters are going to put the skates to the back of their closet. They're done. We're never going to do that. This is part of our lives. This is our passion. It's in us. We are your market. We are the long term. We're the ones who are going to be here from now until eternity because we fucking love this shit. Wow. So you need to pay more attention to like, you need to stop thinking about the money and the recreational skaters and us scaring them. You need to realize that this is going to be an era and that's going to be gone and they'll be off to the next thing. But this is part of our soul. We're not going anywhere. And you need to focus more on, on us and our community and what we're doing. So it was a long time before those guys advertised. And when they did, the ad had to be approved. Let's put it that way. So if you look through your magazines and you see the first rollerblading ad, it's funny. You know, it was like, damn it. But then everything was cool. And it's really funny because uh, I was on K2s and Rose's mostly after, after my rollerblades for a long time. But the very last pair of skates that uh, I really have and what I skate now is uh, my Frankie's. <laughs> I'm back on no, the road again. Really? <laughs> and I would do, if anybody's got a buckle out there, please. Send it to oh, Angie. That's something I wanted to bring up. I saw a lot of this like uh, bashing on skaters that aren't skating anymore and stuff like that. And as an older skater, like as one of the first oldest skaters, I was always way older than everybody else. Um, when you get to like your mid fucking fifties, like I am, you've got some, you might have some shit going on that like really? from skating is the way that you want to, you know, like whether it be injuries or anything, it could be anything. And it doesn't have to have, it has, doesn't have to be approved. Younger skaters and other skaters should not be fucking judging people. Like I saw Manuel Billaris of all people get attacked and it's like, you know what? These, if, if you skated in your life and it's in your heart and you're passionate about it and, and you, you shared that, just respect people. Like, let them, let them do what they want to do. They're exactly. I mean, it doesn't really make any sense to attack no. them and tell them, it's oh, like you... Support mentality. Like, I can't be what I want to be unless you're still there and skate or die, whatever. It's like, no, man, shut the fuck up. <laughs> don't make them give you an excuse. And don't alienate them from the community because they feel judged. It's like, you don't know. You don't know what's going on with them. You don't know why or what or what they're going through or, or why they've chosen to maybe focus on something. You don't know and you don't have any fucking business knowing. And you need to shut the fuck up and let them live their life and not judge and welcome them still into the community for what they did do and, and who they still are as an awesome true. person. True, and true, true. You know, like. I've felt intimidated, like, oh, I'm going to go somewhere. Uh, even when back when I was doing the magazine, you know, and people would be like, oh, oh well, why aren't you skating? And it's like, because I'm going to feel judged by you. I spend 24-7 behind a computer these days. Um, 
and you have no fucking idea like what it takes to to do a four foot air out of a vert ramp you have to keep your muscles strong and if i'm only doing like this back when, when i first started i'm sorry it's not fun for me i already surpassed that i can't get off on like eh, eh. i need to fucking fly and if i can't fly then you know like i would still like to do it but i don't want to be judged and i was always i always felt like i was judged and and even now you know like if i go somewhere and uh you know people are looking at me and they're like oh why isn't andrew skating it's like i don't want to go up and have to explain to you that i now have bone spurs in my heels and it's excruciatingly painful or that i have ganglion cysts going on you know from whatever and it's kind of gross see oh what damn <laughs> yeah i can see i don't know what the fuck these things are but uh <laughs> no uh you know, don't make people explain to you why they are or not skating and if they're like if they're going with a part of their self wants to skate and part of their self wants to video and they're really passionate about everything and how they share it and what they do or or maybe they just still want to feel connected to their friends and the industry and stuff don't be a fucking douchebag just like let everybody be what Not, they want to exactly, be exactly exactly i mean that, that's the I point i started skating again after being out of it and was skating all the time until these these injuries started to like whatever and i was having so much fun it was like that <laughs> when i first put on my skates there was like no industry around nobody to judge me skating with my husband watching him fall on his ass <laughs> uh, watching him have a great time you know like uh just kind of doing that bomb the streets thing you know and huh. who doesn't love doing that like you're out with all your friends and you're just bombing the streets to get somewhere or something it's like it's amazing it's the best feeling it's the best feeling ever i mean There's nothing better than that, in my opinion, and that is why I fell in love with skating and all that. Right. The it's a sense of community along with the personal self-achievement of like overcoming and accomplishing something, you know? It's just like right in front of you, like, hey, I want to do that. It's hard. I'm going to fall a bunch of times, and then I do it. There's no better feeling ever, True. you know? So it's like, that, that never goes away. <laughs> and then, so like, with that being said, like, about Still about the magazine. I don't want to bother you about, I have like a thousand of questions, but I don't want to steal your time or whatever. But like, which was like the, um, your, your very, like the favorite cover or like your favorite picture? Like, do you have any favorite picture of those daily breads? I have so many, dude. Like I have so many, but one of the ones that I'm most proud of and that was like the, one of the best experiences for me is going to be Glory Hole. Always. Oh, wow. Amazing. Because the story behind that, again, with not having the phones, the story behind that is just amazing. Uh, <laughs> I don't know why. I read something, I think, uh, in an old trans world or something about this place, you know, where uh, certain times of the year. Uh, oh, shit. Let's see if Angie is still here. Are you guys able to see me? Is it working? Dun, 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 dun.
So let's wait for Angie to be connected again. There you are. <laughs> oh my God, dude, I don't know. I, I had this like thing come up and so I went to flick it up and somehow I hit something and suddenly I was looking at this really monstrous woman talking to me live. No. What the fuck, where did you come from? She had like, oh, that was scary. Anyway, back, sorry. So. <laughs> Glory hole. Uh, Glory uh, hole, they everybody cover. Yeah, yeah. I, I saw this uh, article about this place that was like, at certain times of the year, oh, sweating to death in here. Certain, <laughs> at certain times of the year, this place would uh, be dry. Uh, the whole rest of the year, there'd be water coming down from the mountains. And uh, I was like, oh, man, like, that just sounds phenomenal. And I got it in my head that I had to go there. And I don't know why I thought I have to go there and light it on fire. Uh, I have no idea how that shit got into my head, but it just, I had just come back from Europe from something and I was like off the plane and packing up the car. I was like, Keith, <laughs> um, we're going, you know, like we're, we're out of here. <clears throat> So we did, we packed up the car and then on the way there, I was trying to figure out how to get there. And on the way there, I was trying to figure out how to light it on fire and, uh, you know, just kind of winging it. And I think it was coinciding with maybe John's, one of John's first events, I think. I, uh, I totally have half timers, always have. I, I don't remember shit. I don't remember people's names. Netta. <laughs> Nadagani. Okay. House back in the day. Don't know why. Sorry, Netta. Fuck. Um, but anyway, so we're trying to figure it out. You know, like we stopped to eat and we're like trying to work out. I still got little Polaroids we took on the road trip up there, but uh, we were trying to figure out how to pull this off. So we stopped and bought. We bought a raft because you can't you can't get to it. You have to go across a river. Wow, crazy. Oh man, that static is horrible. So we stopped and we got a raft and we got some of those big water guns. And so my idea, I think, was I was going to, I was going to shoot. Gasoline. Shoot gasoline. I don't know. I mean, we were winging it. It was like, well, what, how are we going to pull this off? So, oh my God, my husband stole the uh, battery pack. Hang on here. <laughs> more of this construction. Hey, Leadman, can I get that battery pack? See, here's here's all of our projects going on. Wow, that's Holy crazy. Shit, dude. Dirt everywhere. You need it. <laughs> uh -huh, the battery pack. <laughs> okay. I need that shit. Oh, sorry. So you guys have built like this wall house? Well, it was like literally falling in and uh, like shit falling through the floors, termites, ceiling falling in, lead, mold everywhere. And I, I knocked out, I knocked out this wall and I built, I hand built all of this shit here. Wait, where's my finger? Oh, I hand built all this shit here. And I hand built this thing 
and I, I built this room. Wow, that's that, that's remarkable. I built that room. I know a lot of people don't realize that uh, I used to be like an electrician's assistant and a construction worker, and <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah, that's we really just remarkable. Do this. I, I built, put these in. Still haven't finished a lot of this stuff. I still have to rewire. I got to rewire the whole house. Where is it? Damn. Yeah, here's our electrical. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm probably making people like want to throw up by like cruising around here like this. Here's my electrical. No way. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's next up on the list. I got to rewire this whole damn house, but uh Anyway, hang on. I'm getting I'm getting my cord set up here before the battery dies. Don't worry, I haven't forgotten about the glory hole because it's <laughs> funny. So am I? I need to find my my battery charger. Like, if you can give me like one minute, I'm gonna grab my yes. battery charger. I'll be right back in a second. Yeah. There you go, I have them. I'm trying to figure out uh, if my battery charge is working right now or not. Hang on. Let's see if I am able to. Oh, I'm back. Oh no, but now the, the cable is sticking out of the bottom and I have nowhere to sit it. <laughs> I'll find something, hang on. Yeah, okay, so glory hole. Back to that. I think one of John's events may have been going on at the same time. So we were up there for that. And, uh, oh, God, forgive me if I forget certain aspects of this. All I know is, again, we didn't have the phones. We didn't have anything. <laughs> no GPS, no nothing. we got out of touch with each other. And all the camera gear was stolen out of the back of the car. No way. Yeah, really? Was, yeah. All the camera gear got stolen. So here we were all, you know, wanting to go do our shoot. And we had no camera gear. So we got in touch with, uh, Jesus, I'm forgetting his name too. I'm so sorry. Uh, I found camera gear, but of course he had to come with us. So then we had like another party and we, we made our way out there. We found it and we loaded up the rafts that we'd gotten with all of our gear and stuff. And it was really calm and easy. And we got across there and uh, turn it, it um, I basically started saying, okay, we, we took all these rags and stuff. And so we, it turned out the shooting fire around it, just logistically, it wasn't going to happen. So uh, <laughs> we soaked these rags in gasoline and we knew that we had one shot at doing it. So I was like, you know, everybody's like, oh, this is going to work. This is not going to work. And I'm like, it's going to work. It's going to work. You know, like we're going to make it happen. Someone was filming. Who the fuck was filming? Dude, wait till I'm like full dementia. I'll be like, where did that go? But uh, I'm in the, I'm in the hole and we've got the whole thing gassed up and we're ready to shoot it. And all of a sudden, the, you know, we're filming and it was like, oh man, all of a sudden, all you see, all you hear on the video is like something like go. 
and it's just pitch black. And then all of a sudden, you know, the we light the match, and the whole ring, you know, fires up. No. And, and then the shot gets taken, and it's like, poof. And to me, it was like the fact that that all came together was just miraculous, you know. And it it's ugh. and uh, after the shoot, because we we took so long trying to like figure out what to do and to get all that there. It was it was pitch black. It was dark. And we had to get back across the river. Only now, now it was pitch black, and now the river was just racing. It was like, you know, really scary. So we were either going to camp out there, <laughs> or we were getting back across that river with all the gear and everybody there. It turns out I'm the only redneck. So I was the only one that knew how to like paddle a canoe through a strong current. So I was like, fuck, man, you know, like, go down with the ship i'm team leader i gotta like even if i'm nervous or scared i gotta pretend it's all okay and i got this and we're fine you know i'll get us all there safely and i got the first group across and then somebody had to like be on the other shore with a, a lighter so i could see where to aim and uh to get us you know and so that it was like four trips back and forth across the river to get everybody across and it was hairy you know so it's like you don't forget something like that anytime. no i bet not at Man. all so that would have to be my favorite cover but also you know um being out there at the salt flats where johnny and uh eric and those guys and casey they all did the, the american flag that's another one of my yeah. favorite covers. even though i wasn't there uh that's just a beautiful beautiful cover to me and I always, I always did the separation, again, that like people in our industry, I think more so than other industries, uh, aggressive, if you want to call them that industries, whether it's BMX or skateboard or anything, I felt like, I feel like our industry really encompassed people who were more creative. In some aspects, I feel like it's made us an industry that's a little bit, uh, insecure sorry i'm having to move in here because that static is just too much for me uh, a little bit insecure you know we've always battled in the industry with this uh this uh feeling like we needed to live up to skateboarding or you know feeling like we needed to try to be cool or whatever and i've always tried to like put across the mentality of like we are what we are and and fuck that we don't need to be liked by anybody. We don't need to be accepted or acknowledged or, you know, just like get a hold of yourself, man. Like, you know, be proud of what you are. And I know that people have, or they wouldn't have been skaters in the first place. So it's like in our industry, cause I had to deal with this right from the get go too. I started on a BMX bike, you know, I hung out with skateboarders and whatever. And a lot of those guys are my friends and I got it hard when i started rollerblading i got it hard like what the fuck are you doing that for you know like and it was like you know what because i love it like i really like it and uh i feel like a lot of skaters from the beginning of our industry were those kind of people that were like you know what this I, i'm not a follower i don't care what kind of shit i'm gonna get because i am gonna get shit i am not gonna be cool but i'm gonna do it anyway and it takes a lot of character to do that and I feel like skateboarding and BMX, not so much BMX, but mostly skateboarding at that time, had become a thing where people did it to be cool. 
And if you're doing something to be cool, then you lack the inner core to actually be it, you know, or to represent it or to, for it to mean anything, you know, it has no soul when you're doing it for those reasons. So I yeah, just felt, yeah. I always felt like our industry had the roots, um, had really, really strong roots and still does because we're still not cool. So every single person that is now in the tens of thousands, every single person that Rolling has touched just about comes from a mentality of like, I am not doing this to be cool. I'm actually not cool for doing it. And yet I'm doing it anyway. And to me, those are the people that change the world. Those are the people who aren't afraid to be and say the emperor wears no clothes. I'm sorry, but you know what? The dude's naked. So I've always had that pride in our industry that we are an industry full of people you know the dion antony's in the world the uh the I, I could go i could go on and on and on of the unique individual personalities from within the rollerblading industry and it makes me even more proud that now i'm seeing them all doing shit you know like wow they were exactly who i always thought they were when they were 16 you know like i yeah. knew that dude was going to be that dude like how fucking cool is that dude look what that guy's doing <laughs> I mean, look at how many people are like, even like uh, up in LA being famous photographers, you know, the Tyler Shields, the shit shoot he's doing. Uh, um, Brian, it, it's Brian Kanoski. Well, Brian and Brian, you know, uh, it's just phenomenal to me, like the, the amount of creative uniqueness. Uh, there's just so much of it, you know, like, and, and, there was a reason I picked the photographer, the videographers I did to do daily bread videos, because to me, they were again, really unique, creative minds like Drew Bacharag, Bo Coddington, you know, the, those guys were like, um, it's funny when, when, when Drew was around, a, a lot of people were telling me, they're like, Oh my God, he's too quirky. He's too, that. Oh, that's going to be crazy. I'm like, no, nah, it's going to be perfect. You know, Drew's the man. And, uh, and it's always like that. When someone doesn't fit into a certain box or category, people tend to be, they don't give something unique that first chance because they're not familiar with it and they're scared of it. And it's like, no, man, every single thing that you really love, probably when it first came around, everyone hated it, you know? And it was the first of its kind. And uh, I don't know, you just always have to, sometimes it is just really shit, but... <laughs> <laughs> you got to take that chance, you know? It's exactly. Like going to see an off-Broadway show, you never know if it's going to be the next Hamilton or whatever the hype is, you know, until until you actually see it. Who's? I wish I could tell who people were on here. I this guess. guy is, um, it, it's my man, John Lee from London, a very talented videographer. And uh, uh, he, he did like a lot of pretty cool jobs. Like, uh, the vo I don't know if you have, I do remember Leon Humphries, which is like a, a yeah. legend from London. Leon just really like, released with John like a 20 minutes video, like amazing video, like full like skating streets. It has been like a almost three years project and they killing it. Later on, I'm going to send I you the link. I wonder if I've want. seen it. I forget what I've seen. So I see stuff and I get inspired and I'm all like, oh my God, that's so cool. And then every now and then I'll post something that I've seen up on, on <laughs> Daily Bread's Facebook page, but I probably have seen it. I want to check out more. Like I really want to see more shit especially no, lately no. i've been 
You guys are really I'm, inspiring me lately. Like I'm really, <laughs> I love the shit that's going on. I always hear people go like, oh, I wish we had been in this and I wish we had been in that and I wish we hadn't gotten kicked out of that. And I just say, hell yeah, we got kicked out of that because <laughs> to me, the only decent thing that happened in our industry from a corporate standpoint from 1993 on uh, has been some anything that like a skater put together, you know, blading cups, super hick, shit like that. Um, or Warp Tour. Warp Tour, you know, when I when I put together Warp Tour, it was like that to me was an opportunity for us to go main mainstream in our way with things we identified with at that time. But it was too early. It was too early for a lot of that shit. It, it kind of sucked because I always felt like uh I was trying to skip the pain, the growth the painful growth spurt. I was trying to really get our industry to skip all the bullshit. And eventually I just had to realize that it's just not possible. You know, like you can't, you have to go through the pain. You have to go through getting kicked out of this or wanting that until it has to happen organically where like people, people self identify. And like right now you probably got a group of people that are like, I don't want to have any part of this and I don't want to have any part of that. And then you have another group of people that are like, I don't want to do, I don't want to go do a corporate monkey show competition. I just want to <laughs> stick to our industry and have barbecues and, and, and have a skate comp, you know, with our shit where we feel good about it. So I just feel like it, it takes like 20 fucking years for that self identity that I was trying to push to come through naturally. And I feel like it's there, you know, I really kind of feel like it's there. It is, it is, and, definitely uh, it is. So I guess I'm looking at it and going, gosh, you know, like I want to like give out, I want to get out and I want to meet these new, the, this new family of people that, that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you think I could have at least washed my hair or something before this, but no, sorry. Um, oh, I'm, it's getting better by the second. <laughs> All right, I got to get this back up here. You know what's funny? I'm trying. I'm trying desperately to like balance my phone right now on my favorite childhood toy. This <laughs> 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 oh, That's but awesome. He's, uh, he's a bean bag, and I feel like he could serve a really good purpose for me right now. If I could just get him there. Have you ever? Have you ever felt like to make like um a, a I don't know like a book within like the the most iconic picture from Daily Bread? Yeah, like a folded book about, or something. I thought about doing like a coffee table book for us, you know. It's just hard because um, I was such a shit business person, honestly. You know, like I just never, I never thought about shit like that. So it's like, you know, when you run a business, especially a creative business, when you pay someone and you pay for the equipment, you pay for the time, you pay for whatever. When you pay for a creative work to be created. It belongs to you, but people in the industry don't realize that. Can you hear the static now? No, 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 it's fine. People in the industry don't realize that. So like, you know, I was always really shit about that. I let everything walk away. And at that time, Daily Bread was like a gold mine to people. And so everyone was always trying to like take something out. And I was always trying to say, no, man, we got to keep it in. Like this is, it needs to stay here. Um, but I just was really shit. I was like, I mean, people would smoke weed on their lunch breaks. And I mean, I was just the worst 
person in terms of running a business. I had a ramp and a band room and, you know, it's like, <laughs> I can remember one time we had, we had hired somebody to, uh, one, a skater to come in and do some work. And uh, somebody was like, you know, he's just in there watching skate videos, right? <laughs> I'm like, dude, I'm like, you can't do that. Like, you're, you can't just come and just like get paid to sit on the couch and watch skate videos. You need to actually do the job and, <laughs> and help out, you know, figure out how to do this shit. But, you know, photos that people took walked out, the original copies. Uh, everyone's got, you know, like their videos daily bread videos up on the internet scan daily bread you know it's like it's so prolific out there with no no ownership and no place i'm still gonna do it but it's really hard because uh um because i i did allow that to happen it falls on me but it, it's it's been plundered you know like the the essence of what belonged to daily bread and was daily bread and should be right here it's not so i have to find it and track down ways to do it and so forth and i'm not going to get out there on the internet and say take that down that's copyright <laughs> fuck that you know like it's again it's community and whatever so but you know you know what like it came out in my mind this thought about like uh, uh a skating book like uh like a proper book because like i had like friends they're photographer and they did like this this like a super good like blading things uh, photo book or whatever and then like during this quarantine i was like reading all of those daily breads and i was like man like the potential of this picture like for example this one that johnny took of shima mm -hmm. i mean like those pictures like trying to figure out what issue that was oh yeah yeah yep with the shima interview and all that i mean like yeah. there's like super like I, I see this picture in, in like a museum or something like that i mean like i was like watching those images i was like man those picture like there's something else you know what i mean it's a dream of mine and it's something in the back of my mind that uh that i desperately want to make happen to be honest with you like uh you mentioned johnny's picture there uh like bmag approached me they didn't really approach me they said they were well they, yeah they did they were they had the respect to ask me about doing a piece on Johnny. And I'm like, nah, you know, like, please honor the fact that like that needs to come from daily bread. And from me, like we had our differences in the past with you guys and so forth. And I just feel like it's the right place. I, I want to do something in Johnny's honor. And so something like that, you know, where we actually do honor the, the photographers of daily bread and the, the really great articles and so forth. I really do want to do that. And so, you know, it's it's something that sits in the back of my mind so yeah and and, and, and i do we no and i do really believe that right now the community just because like the people who are like who were fans of daily bread back in the day they were like right now 30 or whatever so like we all have work and stuff like that and we are able somehow to collect the money you know to and i don't know if you if you remember what happened uh to rob g that like in a minute yeah. like everybody oh God, collect exactly. like more than yeah. like a hundred thousand uh, dollar like for a second yeah. so i do really believe that like uh if there might be the chance to do something like that the whole community just like you were saying earlier can like gather together like all the money to put that thing like uh becoming reality because i do really believe that it could be like i mean i would pay like uh, i wouldn't say all the money they have but like kind of you know what i mean <laughs> yeah yeah well there it is on the board you know to do <laughs> 
because it's been in the back of my mind too. And uh, I was trying to figure out, you know, like how would I make it happen? But uh, I'm also thinking about, because it's always been a passion of mine. Uh, I talked to Arlo about this, so I won't say too much about it, but uh, I just really want to put out some memorabilia uh, to support that tribe, you know, and just say, hey, this is still here. This is our roots. Some people tried to write us off in the beginning. Some people tried to put us out. Some people tried to like uh, write me off specifically, you know, after the whole stealing of my life, they wanted to also additionally write me out of history and stuff and, and, and create a different narrative. And it's like, uh, you know, no, I want to, I would like to, you know, you took the legacy of daily bread. I'd like to like bring it back you know, so that it's there because it's part of all of us, you know, all of yeah. us, it's part of all of us and we deserve to fucking have it there. You know, we never deserved for it to like be killed the way it was because honestly the next step, I don't even know if I said this in the other interview, but after that happened and uh, <clears throat> I was like fucking heartbroken over it and so forth before I realized it was stolen, but just after everyone was like, you know, well, the four people I have were like, fuck no, whatever. And I felt like I had let them down. And I was like, how can I go on? You know, this has always been a family thing. How can I go on by myself? You know, uh, um, what am I going to do? I'm, I feel like I'm letting people down. And then I had this, this, that's actually why I went looking for the magazine files is because I was like, holy shit, you know, like, wait a minute, without this giant uh payroll and without this giant portion of the overhead the industry has now gotten to a point where there are really good writers really good photographers it was starting to come into its own in terms of having creativity and i thought well shit i can go back to being quarterly again and not have to put out this skinny embarrassing magazine because we can't afford the overhead uh of monthly expenses I can go back to being court and I started getting really excited. I was like, I can do this. You know, the digital world has opened up enough that I can be in communication. It can still be a family, but it'll be like this. You know, it hadn't quite gotten to this yet, but I was like, I can have really high quality contributions and we can, we can rebuild uh, and release the magazine just quarterly. I don't have the overhead expenses anymore because I've, I've, I've consolidated down and, and just gone back to the beginning of me in a room making the magazine. And I started to get really excited and I was like, I see a path forward. And that's when I realized the, the files had been stolen and, and everyone had been told that I, I, uh, I said I was quitting the magazine. And that's when everything came to light. And I was like, holy shit, you know, like, fuck. Yeah. I just like, I don't get to have a choice in this. This has been taken from me. I, I don't get, it's not like you guys are leaving. You took everything. So I'm just standing here naked. Like what the fuck? And holding all the bills. <laughs> so, so, you know, that didn't happen, but I feel like I, it's always been in the back of my mind to like, that maybe that could happen, you know, like, I don't see any purpose at all for like contemporary writing and stuff in it, but I do see an annual kind of thing maybe you know but uh i feel like other people will want to do that too and and i'm just not sure so it's like i, I don't know where i fit in with serving a purpose if i don't serve a purpose i don't really have any desire to do it so it would have to serve some sort of purpose and maybe it'd be a one-off would definitely be cool 
just, you know, a one-off sure. to do. So maybe, yeah. <laughs> we'll be yeah. great. Um, Angie, we do have like 60 seconds, like Rango. 50 seconds oh, left. <laughs> Finally, I can tell who somebody is. I know that's you, Joe. And um, uh, we do have like 40 seconds left. Would you like to continue okay. like after this one or like would you... Uh, because it's already two hours, so I don't want to steal your time because you, you might be like busy doing something else and everything. So, shall we? This or get started on that electrical. So, I think I, I'm fine with chatting for a little. Let's let's at least reconnect so that we don't end it. Yeah. Like, you know, okay, bye. Bye bye. In a second. See you in a second. Okay. <laughs> This is like so far the the longest one. <laughs> All right, Angie, she's already here. Back live. Back live. <laughs> this is like probably the longest one I ever had. <laughs> no one Thanks. has ever accused me of not talking enough. <laughs> no, thank you so much for your time, Angie, really. And um, so, like, with that being said, like, uh, um, you have been, like, through all of this, like, crazy amount of, like, uh, um, years building up this, this this crazy scene and all that. Who do you think was, like, the very first, uh, um, no, not the very first, like, the most influential blader we ever had? I know it could be, like, a, a tough, like, a a hard question to decide who like do you have like the any favorite skater huh the most influential what skater yeah oh skater okay Ooh. <clears throat> Ooh, boy that is a hard one yeah there's no way to really answer that specifically because there's no denying that number one on the list would be chris edwards Without Chris Edwards, I mean, the guy was a machine. He made rollerblading, um, you know, it's like the hundredth monkey theory where uh, I'm sure you've seen this. Like when you started skating, everyone in your generation, stuff was hard. There was stuff that hadn't been done and you didn't think it was possible and you worked really hard to do it. And it was like, damn, that was hard. But then the skaters that came up after you it was like just part of their knowledge, part of their, they already knew how to do it. They didn't even have to True. try. It's Crazy. like the 100 monkey theory, you know, where like they just learned it through osmosis. It became part of the community. And because it was already existing, they immediately mentally interpreted it as being easy and something they should know how to do. So they just did. And so Chris Edwards was the first monkey, you know, like the shit that he was doing, you just were like striving to be what that was and what he was doing. He was fearless. I mean, what? he just was fearless. He <laughs> still is, you know? He's still Chris, so he's still just fearless. And uh, so everyone set their sights to that. And then what came after, you know, uh, of course that would have to be looked at as like the most influential skater at that time. But then you move forward and you, you know, you've got Tom Fry, you, I mean, 
I can't say something without putting BJ in there. If I fast forward through a bunch of people, you know, Latimer, Julio, uh, like just uh, uh, Petty, you know, um, people who their style defined something at that time. John Elliott. So sorry for all the people I'm leaving out right here. And there's a lot. Spizer, Randy Spizer, you know, like uh, Matt Mance. Like there's just so many people that they, they inspired something really big right in the beginning. There was a lot of it right in the beginning. Um, but, you know, fast forward to, to somebody like a BJ. I just saw clips that he did like the other day that just blew my mind. And I'm like, <laughs> fucking dog. And he calls me pig. I call him dog. And it's like, geez, man, like I can't get on my skates and like skate because, you know, this shit hurts. Like, and you're what? what? <laughs> and, you know, Carlos Pianowski, monumental change in the industry, you know, like phenomenal in terms of like what you can and can't do and the mushroom guys you know like i feel like their their influence on uh they're sort of like i can't is the guy's name randy mullen no, mullins now i feel like an idiot again in skateboarding they had a a monumental shift from vert to street when when I think it's Rodney Mullen. Rodney Mullen, the guy who was doing like a dark side thing and like he was like he sleeping. He doing all the little, the little intricate things. And yeah, down yeah. Beach. I think it was in Huntington Beach. He'd be down there looking like a crazy person, like doing all these little things. Yeah. But what he did and what he developed became, he was the first monkey and it became just common knowledge. And then people started doing stuff that just you didn't think was humanly possible to do that sort of stuff, you know? I remember back in the day, Pat always used to say when we were doing street stuff, and I'm talking, this is like 1994, 93, Pat would always say, oh my God, like there's nowhere it can go from here. This is it. Like there's just nowhere else, there's nothing else that can be done. Wow. And I remember telling him and saying, no, dude, like I can picture people like literally doing a, a rail and a 360 to, and he's like, no fucking way, that'll never happen. And then Chris Effie arrived. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, talk about influential skaters. My God. See, there's just so many people that I can't even I can't even start to just throw them in there, you know, and say this person or that person. I mean, Happy, Happy is legendary, you know, like uh, the stuff that he's done and maintaining who he is. He's one of those people that like um, there was a guy in BMX that was like this, too. Halfie is like this guy that you would think he had a rough childhood and grew up, you know, beaten or abused or something with the, the amount of power and passion. And he's the most baseline, calm, cool, collected, level-headed, stable family kind of guy ever. So he bridges that gap between a psychotic type of thing where it's angst and just pure talent and drive and passion. And so he has represented our industry, I think, incredibly well, you know, and like, and really shown a level of professionalism, mm. and maturity and talent and uh, the friendships that he's formed in the community. Uh, again, so it's, it's really, 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 really hard to like pinpoint any particular most influential skater uh if i had to put together lists like we used to it would never be just one person it would always be a multitude of people you know? exactly like the rat pack or <laughs> yeah you know like 
and they feed off each other, you know, like, who would you say? I want to hear it from you because you're in tune with the industry right now and you come from the land of 2000. So you tell me, like, who's the most influential skater right now? That's, that's a good question. I have like, in my opinion, I have like six of them. I have like six of them. Like, for, like in my opinion, like John, John Julio, it's like up there. And like, so he's like on another planet, on another level. And he's right there because he influenced it. Like, I mean, John is John and everybody knows it. And like, it's undeniable. But then like, uh, with that being said, I do... He's a legend. So exactly. Who are the most contemporary influential skaters right now? Right now? Oh, my. Right now. No, no legends in the list. No. Oh, wow. So no, no Heffy, no Feinberg, no. Oh, yeah, man. Feinberg, fuck. <laughs> to me, all right. I t I'll tell you what, but like he, he stopped skating, unfortunately. For me, Will Gordon, but from what, what I see skating and stuff that Will Gordon was, was like my, my, one of my very like uh, chess sense as well, but they are like my favorite blader. But I do believe that right now, nowadays, uh, there's like Bobby Spasov is really, I don't know if you ever heard about this guy, Bobby Spasov, David Sizemore is like super like, you know, influential. Um, like, like you were saying, it's hard to pick up one. Mm -hmm. <laughs> It's pretty hard. Um, th th there's oh, like that he went through. That guy's that guy's probably old school to you, CJ Wellsmore, because he was super new no. school. CJ, CJ, of course, CJ. I mean, yeah. wow. I mean, yeah, crazy. Welcome <laughs> to your first daily bed production meeting. This is exactly how we chose everybody. You know, this is exactly how it went down. Just sitting and talking and going, oh my god, you know, like this, that, you know. This is going on. Wow, that's, yeah. that's that's crazy. That's crazy. And um, so yeah, I'm still thinking of for me who was the most influential blader right now, but <laughs> I can't pick up one name. One name is impossible. So yeah, I can tell you that. But yeah, a group chat on like uh, this is the way that I think in terms of like what you guys in this generation and and new generation that are taking on the mantle of like uh keeping the community, whatever. You've got things like Zoom and now, uh, who's picking back up on that? Is it Hangouts or FaceTime or whatever, you know, where you can have like 20 people? House party or something like yeah. that, right? Like a host, pick pick 10 people and just get them talking. You know, like things you want to do to shape the industry, yada, yada. I always hear that coming up. like. Uh, why can't we build an industry, you know, and it always comes around to money and, and there's two schools on that, you know, there's like, uh, there's the need to make money so that you can make it your passion and live and travel and so forth. And it should always be an, a, a means to the end, you know, uh, there should always be like, okay, we need money, but we need it so that we can perpetuate this. Um, not we need it because, uh, oh my God, I want to be rich and famous or whatever, you know, so there's like ooh, that divide It's careful, but in terms of getting people into the industry and sharing, uh, skating with them and so forth, Rollerblade had it right back in the day with their after school program with uh, the van. They would take a van, load it with skates, go sit outside of a school. And as soon as people came out, they'd be like, hey, put on the skates. And, uh, you know, to me, it's like just so simple. Like if you want to get people back into skating, just put them in a pair of skates. That's all it takes. 
put a pair True. of skates on them and you're either you either feel it or you don't i put on my first pair of skates and that was it that was the end you know that was the click yeah that was it you either you either uh feel it or you don't you don't need to market to them and show them pictures and you know oh you get the girls and all that well now you're looking at getting the guys that want to skate because it's cool you don't want those people necessarily they'll come anyway you want people who are passionate about it and so you go out there you set up the skates you let them figure it out on their own you know like put them in a pair of skates and see where it goes from there awesome so those are the programs to me that people need to be doing again i'm teaching i'm teaching blading right now here in milan are you? I I haven't I haven't like opened my my school, but like I do have like here where I'm living, which is like a small village, um, but like pretty close to Milan. I do have like uh, 11 kids, and in the skate park where me, my brother, and my cousin uh, are, are used to skate, we do have like in weekends like 10, 15 kids coming there because like they see us skating and all that. So we are like you know teaching them how to drop them down to the ramps, their first grind, and so on. So yeah, just like you were That's saying. That's where it happens, you know, like uh, that community, you, you feel it then. You want to go back because your friends are there and you want to skate and you feed off of each other, you know. You got Kazu in Japan, who to me is one of the most altruistic human beings I've ever met in my life. I'm so honored to have him in my life. Uh, you know, you got people like that, that, that uh, you have to say, okay, this is where it happens. It doesn't go from the top down. It goes from down here up. It just always, it's always got to have the roots before it can have the leaves. You know, it's like got to, it's got to branch that direction. So everyone's always looking for some big thing, you know, like, oh, some giant televised event and everybody will start skating. It's like that, that's just not where it comes from. It comes mm -hmm. from the heart, from uh, whatever, you know, and skating to me is an art. It's artists. Um, Definitely. Magazine was always based around that. It's like, okay, yeah, that's a hard trick, but does it, is it, you know, every, everything that I ever wanted to see go into the pages of the magazine, it was all about, you know, like, not just the skating, but the, the visual of it. To me, it's, it's more than just, it's more than just, okay, I'm going to go do a hard trick and I look like a, a, a an orangutan doing it and I, I used to get accused of me and Jess primarily <laughs> would get accused of being the style council. But to me, that's part, that's part of the art. When you go and you, you know, there's the internal part where you're accomplishing something. And then there's the, also the part where you're expressing yourself. So part of it's internal, you know, like, okay, I'm going to do this and it's going to be a self achievement. I don't care about anything else, but there's another part of it that is just like a lot of the people in our industry, like the Chris Farmers and stuff, where it's very important to self-identify. This is who I am. I'm unique. I'm individual. And so when you want to, when it's important to express that, if you're an artistic person, which a lot of us are artistic people, it's just as important that we like, you know, maybe we choose a rail and we choose the scenery and it's a landscape shot in some ways. And it's also what we're doing. You know, we're expressing how we feel inside visually so other people can go fuck you know uh and see it so it boils down to uh not just your own internal i'm repeating myself <laughs> i do that <laughs> you know what i'm saying yeah of course of course <laughs> no but but by angie i mean like 
really like it's uh, something re- what what you've done like it's something remarkable and uh, as I was saying earlier like and I won't stop saying it like you guys have literally like uh, leave a mark on everybody's heart and like uh, uh, we like I, I said that thing to Dave uh, at the Winter Clash this year and to Joe Navran when we did like the blading chat with him like you guys have really like you, you guys literally made me who I am today and I do believe and I I can say it for like other bladers that I know and maybe like some of them are here watching us. Like you guys made us, you know, like some people are graphic designers, some people are photographers, others are videographers just because we were like influenced by your guys' work. So man, that's crazy. Yeah, and vice versa. It all comes full circle because now you're inspiring me and now I'm being influenced by you. It all comes full circle, you know? Uh I'm amazed at the shit that I see going on. And I, I, there were these guys doing a Haitian mag. I thought they really, I loved what they were doing. I thought that was so, <laughs> so awesome. But uh, I tried to tell them, like, print, man. We already Tough. experienced the, you know, it's just not going it, to, it's got to be a passion because you're definitely not going to be able to, like, keep it going for too long. Mm-hmm. But uh, no. I think it's, I think it's mutual. And I mean, I appreciate it. Thank you. You know, like that. Was no, definitely. Let's from, uh, from, that's always been the goal. <laughs> Great. So Angie, with that being said, it's already like uh, two hours and 15 minutes. <laughs> and, uh, I don't want to steal your time because I know that you have like a lot of things to do and all that. And, um, I mean, I don't know what to say more. Like, thank you so much for like being part of it, like being this patient to to stay sticky with us for like those two hours. And, and I love really. it, man. Like seriously, I'm gonna go back and watch all of the chats because, like I said, full circle. I'm here <laughs> to learn from you now, and I want to see what's going on. I want to see where people are at and and what's happening out there, and get my finger back on the pulse a little bit in terms of understanding. Uh, and not being so stupid. Like, I, I've completely forgotten trick names. I'll be looking at something and I'll be like, oh, you know, at one time I tried to, to like put together all the trick names and stuff so that we wouldn't have this clusterfuck going forward. And now I can't, like, is that, a, is that an oversole? Is that a, and I'm like, I just don't even, I'm just stupid. I need, like, I have to relearn my own roots, which is kind of crazy. I. But anyway, yes, I, I really, I'm honored. I'm honored. I'm no, honored. no, me. It's me. That, no. I am honored, really. And um, <laughs> Angie, thank you so much. Um, looking forward to, to meet you maybe at the Blading Cup. I don't know. It would be great if, like, we were able to travel again in, in November. Finger crossed. Everything is crossed because I'm looking forward to, to get one of those daily bread uh, if you're coming there to, to send them. And uh, really, like... Right. Thank you so much. I might be in a hazmat suit if he does it in November, but uh, that's going to happen. It's got to happen. I actually been meaning to reach out to John, but yeah, I do too. I hope I see more of you. Thank you so much. And uh, yeah, thank you for being here. Thank you guys for sticking with us and we'll see you soon. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs> thank you. Thanks for listening to Blading Chats.